uh, we're not going to do that again, or at least not right now. But this is, these are the things that we learned. You know, these are the, these are the places where we have some room to, to grow. And these are places where we kind of hit a brick wall. So let's, let's grow into the places that are there and let's let the walls stand for a little bit. Welcome to season three of Create In Me. We're glad you joined us for these curious conversations about worship, about how we shape it and how we are shaped by it. The whole tension between let's let's get beyond COVID, fix this whole thing up and pretend it never happened versus no, there, there's, yeah, this was kind of mess. There was a lot of learning, a lot of growth, you know, even as there were real challenges and mm-hmm. pain and struggle. You, know, you don't want to minimize in any way. I don't know. We were kind of praying about this with our, our morning prayer group this morning, just about the, the problem of, of suffering and struggle and trying to reconcile that notion of God's love and care and presence and then actual suffering and struggle. You know, it's not the, well, everything happens for a reason and, you know, you're suffering so that God can do this. Like That doesn't always feel satisfying. It doesn't always feel healthy. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. That, that's a really problematic dynamic. It's an age-old problem, right, for the church, the problem of suffering. A lot of people have wrote about it, thought about it, you know, preached on it. I don't know if we figured it out yet. I think we're also, like, ready to get out of this season. There will be things we miss about it to also honor those things. At the beginning of the season, we sort of started talking about change. How have we dealt with change? You know, like, what are the tools to address change that help us get through oh, well, now, now COVID's over, there will be no changes. Well, we know that that's not true either. You know, what is it that we learned through the rhythm of the year? Some of that could come back to the actual rhythm of the year that we hold as Christians. There's a reason that we have this stabilizing rhythm, even if we don't use it. Like, even if you jump from the lectionary, even if you never use it, there's still these like touch points that bring us back into some focus and send us back out it just struck me that like we were, have been talking about change so much and that there is something about there's something about believing that if you could just go back that it would be comfortable but that's not true because you are not who you were then because you've yeah. changed yeah i think it, it frames change as a problem mm-hmm. like, oh, well change is obviously a crisis and so how do you it's crisis management it's it's adaptive yeah change isn't the problem it, it's a reality you know, but I mean, to think of it as a pro- in a problem solving way, okay, how do I resist change, minimize the impact of change or integrate it versus, you know, for lack of a better word, like a more Zen kind of understanding of change is, and, and maybe by always approaching it as a problem, as a crisis or as an opportunity, are we missing something? What are, I don't know. I mean, but are, is there, is there a different way of looking at change, embracing it? Every, everything is in motion in, you know, even if on a cellular level, right, our electrons and, and, and protons are never, I don't think, in the same position, you know, they're constantly moving, we are in flux, you know, on, on a cellular level, it's movement, there are orbits and currents and rhythms through our very bodies, we're growing, and cells are being shed and new cells are being created and one of us is kind of a little universe that is, is continually expanding, renewing, like everything is in motion. The, the thought that anything doesn't change is an illusion. I think there is something to that. I mean, and not to just kind of in a pseudo philosophical 
way, like like a bumper sticker. We've I think we've talked about how the church is really can be very resistant to change, and we become pretty set in our rhythms and expectations, the status quo. And whether we're talking on like an individual level, an institutional level, or even societally. And then to be honest about the fact that, you know, the status quo isn't working for everybody. You know, that there is change that is that is needed, that is is groaned for, as the scriptures write about, like creation is groaning for change, for renewal, uh, to be reconciled in some way to, you know, the stewardship, the care, the dominion of those you know, who kind of accept that agency, I don't know, God's having delegated that or shared that or inviting and having invited us to participate in hopeful change, uh, life-giving, transformative. I just wonder if there's a place we could come to stand where we just recognize change for this force, this power. God is change. I, I know we think of God as very stable, the rock of ages, but God is also, I would think, of all things, in the most motion and movement, more of that perichoresis kind of thing, right? Where God is, is the dance. God is the music. God is not just the fixed point from which we can leverage whatever we think is necessary, but that God is, is the, the wind brooding over the face of the waters. At one of our uh, meetings this week with one of the different boards, the comment was made that, you know, we have experienced more change. We have done more new things done more things that we've done for the first time in the last year than we've done in the previous 10 years. And that was generally accepted as a, an accurate statement. Like, yes. What does that mean? I was going to say, how do you recover from that much change? Or is recovery yeah. the point? Part of what is failing us is that we have taught ourselves, we have limited our imagination to believe that stability must be immovable, that the things that work have to stay the same in order to work. What we have found in COVID is that people, we actually do have more resilience than we thought, but that resilience takes work. The stability of things staying the same in many ways is easier because I know that this is expected. I can produce these things where that kind of hits up against uh, my own theology, which, you know, faith seeking understanding is that we have to be looking for understanding, we have to be starting from a point that says, there is something to discover here. There's something greater that I could try and understand. And I think sometimes when we believe or when our practices dictate that we don't need to go any further, we miss out on, on the process of discovery that happens when we practice that more readily. And so part of me looks at this time of COVID, the season, COVID tide, and says, we have learned that we have the capacity to maintain and to learn new things. It hasn't destroyed everything. Everything hasn't been pulled apart. Now, it has been a lot of work. You know, I think all of our pastoral colleagues can attest to that, that even in the midst of COVID, even doing the, the least amount, sometimes it feels like we're overworking because we're learning all these new things. But what I think we've also learned is over time, we've begun to understand like how much new learning will fit into my practice of ministry while also maintaining what needs to happen and not burning out, which I think is, you know, that's the balance while moving, you know, how do you do that? And you can only discover that by trying it. Both things have to be happening at the same time. And so as we kind of move out of this season of COVID 
it's not like it's going to be completely gone forever. Like this has now shaped our world. Mm. Uh, you know, as we're recording this, India and Pakistan, the numbers are, for COVID cases are skyrocketing. This crisis and pandemic is not done. And we're going to be living with it together. The opportunity for us is to see how do we take what we've learned about this balance while moving and continue that in a way that allows for us to be more adaptable, more responsive to the world that we're in. And to be able to have these discussions about like, well, okay, this is not, this is not serving the need. So what could we try instead? Or how could we um, shift this a bit to address the needs of, of the world, of the community around us? And when we go into that sort of conversation, I think it also models for individuals how you do that in your own life. I've been learning a lot about my own anti-racism journey. And one of the things that has been striking me lately is how do you maintain a regular practice of, of inner reflection, of recognizing the places where I'm complicit in white supremacy, and how do I, I keep moving in and out of that so that I can learn something, work on trying to do it differently, come back to learn something, to work on it, do it differently. That is a huge commitment. It's a lot of work in any aspect of life where you are constantly in the praxis mode, you know, where you're, you're practicing and you reflect and you shift something and you practice and you reflect. And it's, it's a cycle that goes on and on and on. And that's what I think the church is supposed to be teaching us is how to be in the world, but not of it, how to pull in to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to learn something and to bring it back out into the world, to practice it a bit and to keep coming back to that touch point of the word to discover how and why and where God is, is intermingled with what is happening in the world and where God's transformation is occurring and how we can be a part of it. It's exciting to think that people have now sort of exercised some chains muscles they didn't know they had. My one fear is that we are gonna move back into comfort because we've missed that so long, as opposed to recognizing that growth is actually the, the con consistent moving and discovering. It takes a lot of work. It's like starting a new prayer discipline routine. You know, when you begin, you have to think about it. Every day, all the time, you have to intentionally do that in order to, to make it a normal part of your rhythm. Even when you make it a normal part of your rhythm, once in a while, you have to change it up so that it doesn't get so stale that you stop paying attention. Change in the church, it's not singular. It's not, well, we're talking just about change in the church. Well, no, we're also talking about change in individual lives. We're talking about change in our our understanding of how we show up in the world, of how our privileges, of how our space in the world has been shaped, how we understand ourselves. Like all of these things go into what we bring into worship, what we bring to God. And I think what God calls us to leave behind. To me, there's got to be this synergy that's going on. And, and I kind of feel like in the last year, the church has been more the church because of that, because we have been paying more attention and not just making assumptions that like, well, this is the way we do things because this works when we're all sitting together in a room. I would wager a guess that not everything we did in the room for worship worked, mm -hmm. but it was a hard, that was a, that was an almost impossible question to ask. 
does this work or does it not? Something really powerful about learning and seeing your resilience grow that I hope we will take with us from this time of COVID into the future. Do you, do you remember the Calvin Symposium that, that we, we listened to, caught some of the lectures? Oh, was it Justo Gonzalez? We were hearing talk about the praxis of the early church and, and, and the practice of baptism and the sacraments and how that drove subsequent theological development, but that it was the praxis first. It was figuring it out on the fly, on the go, in real time, rather than trying to have it as a fixed static point theologically or doctrinally from which then decisions about the praxis could be made. It was, it was a more practical consideration. And I think as the church finds itself in this space, you had talked about the importance of the language we use, the way we, we frame it. And, and, and certainly there's beautiful language about like a tree planted by the water, I shall not be moved. On Christ the solid rock I stand. And, and, and things that are shifting in our vocabulary are perceived to be much less desirable in terms of the theology or where it is that we think we need to place ourselves. But I think in practice, there is a stability that comes through motion. Like you said, balance while moving. If you read a little bit of a Matthew Crawford and his book, The World Beyond Your Head, uh, Becoming an Individual in an Age of Distraction, he looks at the practices of like performance motorcycle racing, chefs and line cooks, hockey players, you know, very high change kinetic, fast-paced environments where the, the movement, the kinesis, is actually what provides for skill, for stability, practice. And I think one of the analogies he drew in that is of a gyroscope. And, you know, growing up in the Washington, D.C. metro area, going to the Air and Space Museum, and, like, one of my favorite toys was a gyroscope I got at the gift shop. I'm thinking there's cosmic principles. There's something to do with, I remember threading a string, if you've ever played with a gyroscope, it's kind of like a yo-yo on its side, and you, but you pull the string through, you get this thing rotating very fast, and it's like it creates its own gravity. Like, you could, you could balance that gyroscope on the tip of your finger. Maybe you would hold it between, you know, your index finger and your thumb, and you could feel a force that was being exerted, and I'm sure there's somebody who's more science-oriented science could tell me the, the actual physical principles that are in play but a gyroscope becomes a very stable thing precisely because of the motion that it's in and and that in practice i wonder if that's more of what the church has experienced over this past year we, we've had to be so much more in motion in ways that maybe have been a little faster at a little greater pace than we're comfortable with but of necessity we've been trying to respond to very fluid situations to very challenging, sometimes very dire situations. And we've had to move fast. In some ways, it's been clarifying. In some ways, it's been fortifying. In some ways, maybe it has given us a greater strength, a greater stability, you know, in terms of our core identity, our mission, our, the movement that we're in, the movement that we're a part of for Christ, you know, and, and to live that out in ways that are, that are life-giving and, and generous. I don't want to let the pendulum stop or the gyroscope stop and just lose all that momentum because what if that momentum is what we're finding is making us stronger or giving us a different kind of stability? 
that makes me think about, you know, the astronauts who actually get into a, a human sized gyroscope to experience gravity and yeah. the lack of it so that when they are in space, they're able to handle it. I don't, mm. I don't know, <laughs> but I feel like at least one or two astronauts have probably thrown up the first time that they get on the gyroscope, right? Like that, yeah. that it is not unheard of or unreasonable to think that when we shift like that, that it will be difficult, that there will be some unpleasant side effects to it, but part of it is training our bodies and our minds and our communities to operate in a different way. What strikes me so much is that at least in clergy circles and in some, some circles of laity that I know, we have been talking for years about how the church needs to change, but we're not sure how to, how to make it do it, how to get the church to a place where we will consent to being changed you know, it's not lost on me that we talk all about being transformed by Jesus, that we talk about resurrection. And then at the same time, we're like, but don't you dare ask me to shift my practice. And I do that too. I mean, it's, I'm like number one on like, I like doing it this way, but that's the thing that is really powerful is to see the places where we learned we can actually live in a transformed way and not die and not lose everything that has ever mattered to us. For some things, I actually feel like I am more in tune with the things that really matter to me and in my life, because those are the things that I did not let go of. There were other things that I was like, I can't, I don't have the energy to do that. So I'm gonna let that go. Some of those things I've said, oh, you know what? I really need to pick that back up. But some of those things are gone. Mm. And I think that that's okay because if I don't miss them, they must not have been making much of an impact. For sure, in, this, in the state of community, that is an important piece of how we move forward is the discernment and the, the leaving behind of things that no longer serve. It isn't that they haven't been valuable. It's just that right now they're not valuable in the same way. And we have permission to do that, to declutter our practices and to come kind of back down to to the things that are really needed right now. I wonder too, you know, talking about the practice of science, you know, that uh, I was reading a meme and it said, you know, as a scientist, uh, whenever I come and tell you that what I thought before was wrong, it isn't that I've lied. It's that I've learned. There's this expansive knowledge that as we grow, we learn. And I think that that could serve us well to have sort of that language around our practices of worship, our practices of community in churches, our individual practices of prayer and discipleship, that it is okay to learn and to move away from that which brought you to the point to learn this new thing. You know, we talked about how often we talk about changes, though it's a really negative thing. But on the other side, we talk about it like it's like the only thing that matters. There is a middle ground there where change is really important. It helps us to see things that we couldn't see before, but it's not the goal. Like we aren't in the church to change everything all the time. The church's call is to share the gospel, to, to tell the world about Jesus and to tell the world that Jesus loves them. We can do that in so many different ways. It's actually liberating to me to think about like the breadth of options before us to be the church. 
And I hope that we all are kind of encouraged and empowered to continue the process of discovery. I think God is in that um, and in the growth. Yeah, I, I really like that idea about that it's about learning and discovery. And I just wonder if we've compartmentalized that or siloed learning, development, and growth to a certain segment of our lives. That's the work of a child, to learn, to grow, to be instructed. Then there's a point where do we kind of equate, you know, adulthood, maturity with, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with that. And now I, now I do. I, I apply a trade. I pursue a vocation. When, when Christ invited the disciples to, to be a little more reflective about children, to actually look to have a faith that is childlike, couldn't that be a pretty direct admonition to keep learning? You, are, you will always be a student of me, Jesus is saying. You, you are always a learner. I, mean, I, I know Paul kind of has the, you know, when I was a child, I talked like a child, now, but now, now I'm grown. I don't think that necessarily means you can't tell me anything. <laughs> you know, I don't have anything more to learn. That's just a horrible position to be in. And it cuts you off from so much of life that is a, a learning opportunity. You know, there are so many teachable moments, I think, between us and God on any given day. And I just can't imagine having a bit of an attitude or a posture toward those where you're like, nope, I, I, think, I think I've learned everything that there is to know. But learning, growing, developing, maturing, letting go of some things, just being in process, you know, being, being a body in motion. I, I hear what you're saying, that tension, like, is it the be-all, end-all? If it's not change, it's the gospel. I know the scripture that came to mind, you know, we shall all be changed. And I, I you know, okay, if that's pre-millennial, post-millennial rapture, I just mean, I accept that and hear that as, yeah, we, we are not completely yet what we're in the process of becoming. And, and in terms of regeneration, in terms of redemption, in terms of just the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in the believer, we are a work in progress. Again, we are a body in motion. And I just would like to see us be a little more excited about that rather than fearful. Because, well, what do I stand to lose? What, what will I forget? <laughs> you know, what won't I get to enjoy anymore? Or what, what will I have to, what will it cost me? I mean, I guess one has to make peace with all of that, but also to trust that, that the place that God is moving us, the thing that God is doing, the work is actually beyond your imagining and, and hopeful expectation. It's, and to trust that it's something good, that it is ultimately in every way possible, good, deeply, deeply good. That, that to me is gospel as well, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too, that, you know, talking about change, maybe it sounds like what we're saying is that everything needs to be moving at a hundred miles an hour in order to be good. And that's, I'm not, I'm not thinking that either. Uh, I know last, last time we talked, you mentioned the, Manifesto, The Mad Farmer, Liberation Front by Wendell Berry, which is an amazing poem. If you have not read it, read it. He says so many things in here that I think is so, it's just so powerful because it's, for me, what it does, it, it disrupts my thought because he doesn't just talk about the ways that the world is too fast and distracting, but he also reminds that like the leaves that rot into mold that that process is also change mm. and, and that, that, that hummus on the ground breeds life that when you plant a sequoia tree, it will be a long time before that tree is a giant sequoia, but 
that is also a change. There is some comfort in that too, that the church does not have to believe that we have to get it all right, right now. And if we're honest, if we're like coming back to the Bible regularly, we already know that that's true. Mm-hmm. Because how many of the epistles come back to churches and, and Paul or whoever is writing them is like, please stop. That's not what we need you to do. Remember this. Remember love. Remember that you belong to one another. Remember if teachers are giving you different information, as long as it is about Jesus, focus on that. Focus on on the message, not the messenger. You know, like there's just so much that the church has always been learning. It feels like we get to this place where we believe that we should have figured it all out. I think, you know, then you go back to, to God and say, I can't figure God out. Yeah. You know, nobody human has that capacity to understand all of what God understands. But what I can understand is what God is calling me to do right now, how to do mm-hmm. this thing. Um, how to be present in this moment with these people. There's some relief there, but there's also like this really exciting invitation to really dig in, to invest deeply where we are. And I think that there are seasons in life where we do different things, you know, where we invest deeply here. And then there are other seasons where we begin to expand our vision beyond where we are, are rooted, where we look for the sunlight that draws us in one direction or another. And that to me is how we, how we can understand change kind of long-term so that we're not thinking, oh, okay, so I'm going to develop this great program. It's going to solve all of the problems and the church is never, ever going to have to do anything else again. But we say, you know, right now it just feels like a lot of the creativity um, and the invitation from God is happening in this place and this program with this other community and partnership. So let's focus there now. And let's check back in and see how and when God is directing us to shift our focus, to split it. You know, that there are many different ways that we can talk about change that doesn't require reinvention, Hmm. but that invites us to always be sort of on the edge of reimagining, not because something is broken, but because it's getting bigger, because our imagination, because God's vision for the world is getting bigger. Um, you know, that's how I kind of see the kingdom, right? You know, that Jesus started with 12, 12 dedicated disciples and, and that group grew. But the, the exponential impact of that small group of people means that there are Christians everywhere. There are people seeking after Jesus Christ 2,000 years later who are having these conversations about what do we do with change? How do we understand ourselves? How do we engage in the world to bring God's love more fully into the present for people all around us? And to me, that's amazing and has to have required a tremendous change in the world because it has gone to so many different people in so many different places. Do you feel like that's one of the the learnings of the pandemic. I mean, as we kind of muddle our way through it, as we suffer with it, you know, and we try to help those who, you know, are being impacted disproportionately or those for whom the impact may be different. Is that kind of our, I guess, reflection on the, on the thing, you know, the thing that will come out on the other side of this, having grown to appreciate or or better understand about the way it is that God is present with us in this. Yeah. 
I do think mm-hmm. that that is something that we can hold on to as a learning from, from this time. And I wonder too, if we haven't also learned that perfection is not key. We started this podcast three years ago, really focused on worship. And, and I think it's been interesting how we've sort of expanded beyond that to talk about the church in general. We think about and talk about the product a lot in our world. Well, what have you produced? Why are, why are you valuable? What can you, what can you show us that has, that has contributed to this community? You know, and as worship leaders, you know, I think about it like what, what have I been able to shape in terms of worship elements that produces um, deeper spiritual growth in the congregation that gives, gives people a sense of the divine in these moments and I'm not saying that those things are bad, but in this moment, in this season of COVID, my levels of like what I expect from myself and from worship have gone lower. Not to mean that like I haven't cared what they were, but I've said, you know what, let's simplify what we do so that there can still be room. Everything doesn't have to be the most spectacular thing, but there is something important about creating space. And, and I think that there is that part of me that really appreciates the reminder that my perfection and my perfectionism, my ability to do things really, um, you know, really well, my motivation to do it really well mm-hmm. is not as important as the people that are gathered. It's not as important as the reason that we, that we come together in the first place. And so I hope that that comes with us too, that, you know, we have been willing to try things and to not do it well which I also have found in the church, we have not been willing to do. If we didn't know how to do it, we didn't do it. Yeah. You know, maybe we've, we've gotten, got my dad likes to say, you get your corners knocked off that maybe, you know, we've gotten our corners knocked off a little bit. So we're not so afraid to get in there and to say, you know what? I don't know if I can do this really well. I don't know if it'll work, but I want to try it. And being able to come back and be like, well, that did not work the way I thought it would. Uh, We're not going to do that again or at least not right now, but this is, these are the things that we learned. You know, these are the, these are the places where we have some room to, to grow. And these are places where we kind of hit a brick wall. So let's, let's grow into the places that are there and let's let the walls stand for a little bit. It does seem to me like this season of COVID has, when we have let it broken down some of the walls and barriers that had been put up between the church and the communities where we are, you know, how many of us, uh, ever had our sermons heard by anybody that wasn't in that yeah. in that worship service at that time. And now how many sermons are out there on the internet floating around for anybody to pick up and listen to if they want? You know, how many communities have engaged with people who don't live near them because somebody can, can zoom into a meeting or watch a YouTube video from a different place? You know, those kinds of things have all grown And I don't want us to shrink back from that because I wonder what valuable things will come out of that, you know, larger expanse that has been created by this time. I feel like a lot of control has been taken from us or we've had to relinquish some control. And and even in terms of services and sermons, you know, music that we're sharing for a specific audience, we, we talk a lot about the relational context for worship. That was a thing early on in the pandemic for me was, you know, preaching a sermon, you know, leading worship, doing something liturgically, and knowing that that 
that that could potentially move beyond the context of the relationships that I've been building with, with this church that I've been serving for only two years. And that people were going to hear that outside of that context. And I remember just feeling super vulnerable about that. Like, well, I have no, you know what I mean? And just having to kind of make peace with that. And that, yes, this is moving out into the world, even beyond what we, and I, I wouldn't say I was controlling of that. Like, oh, well, I only want to preach for certain people who, who know me and, you know, can, can ask me about, well, what did you mean when you said this? In, in some ways, I think the church has experienced a, an increasing kind of vulnerability when we look at some of the statistics, which I don't know that we follow super closely, but in terms of views of Sunday services that are posted on the church's Facebook page, there's far more people who are, seem to be watching it or connecting with it in some way there than it could actually be possible for me to even know. It's a wonderful thought. And as you say, like, yeah, that's that always was kind of the plan anyway, was to have the message move out into the world in a greater way and not to have control of it in a sense of who gets to hear it, who gets to interact, who gets to comment. It's it's bigger than that. And, and even in terms of controlling, you know, quality control, exactly like you said, well, if it's not going to be great, it's easy to say that you embrace failure when you actually don't fail too often. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I really value failure. You know, it's a, it's a learning opportunity. It's much easier to say that is a position you hold when generally things turn out okay. And yeah, the pandemic, absolutely. There's some things where I'm looking back on and like, oh, that was real. That was a real disaster. Or <laughs> that just didn't, that just didn't pop. You know, that, that was not what I had envisioned or, and I feel like I've seen that with other worship leaders, folks who are helping us out with technology. Like, yeah, there, there's just been a genuine willingness to try something and have it not work and then come together, evaluate it, make improvements. I think at the end of the day, that's probably a super healthy kind of thing. Just kind of be at the workbench together. There's a joy. There's actually, I find, even, even I, I think I struggle too with some perfectionism and just wanting it, you know, wanting it to be stellar, wanting it to be wow. And it's not always, and, and that's okay. You know, that, that, that really wasn't the goal. That isn't the, the driving value. It's, I want this to be genuine. I want this to be authentic. I want this to to be relatable and to connect and, and to be faithful. I want this to be our faith, our best effort at, at helping people to understand the gospel. Well, and I think that comes back to, you know, when we talked with Christy Clore last month, she was talking about how part of her work as a transitional pastor is to also do her own work about how she's showing up mm. um, to know and recognize those things. Cause if you think about, you know, all the things that you just said about, you know, like sometimes my perfectionism gets in the way, you know, I want it to be perfect. I want it to be whatever. Now, I think as a pastor, if anybody in your congregation came to you and said, I can't be a Christian because I can't do it perfectly, you would be able to say that's not the expectation. True. Yeah. But in our modeling of the things people see most regularly, which for most Christians is the worship hour or hour and a half. If we model in that moment this practice of acknowledging this did not work the way I thought it would, or, you know what, I didn't have high expectations for this, but this really, this really did fit in a way I didn't anticipate. If we model that, are we not also contributing to a kind of discipleship that allows for people to recognize and value the genuine, honest growth process 
that is happening in their lives every day in a way that a perfectly um, centered and produced worship service might not. There have definitely been people I've talked to over the years who have talked about, well, I can't come to worship because I don't have the right clothes. I can't do this because I don't know how, I don't know how to love everybody exactly like Jesus told me to. And so I can't, I can't be a Christian until then. You know, one of the most beautiful things I have found in my practice of ministry is meeting people who have been at this Christian life thing longer than me, who are still like, I don't know what to do. I'm still trying to sort out how to show up. You know, I hear, I hear these sermons that encourage me to share my faith and I still don't know how to do that. Or I, I'm still worried about the best way to do that. It makes me remember and realize that like, we're all really the same. If Jesus wanted perfection, he did a very poor job of picking his descendants as it were, or his followers, because the disciples, even after Jesus was ascended into heaven, were still making mistakes. We're still missing the point. We're still having to learn. And I don't know where it happens that we somehow believe that we aren't exactly like those people or that we should somehow because of them be better. There's some guilt and shame. I think that we carry around that makes us believe that because we can't do it in, in a more perfect way that we are, are somehow letting God down whenever, when God was right there in the middle of it, that never came up. You know, Jesus did not spend time scolding the disciples for when they got it wrong. He invited them to do it again to try again. You know, he sent the disciples out to spread the news of the kingdom and they came back and they were like, Oh Jesus, this is what happened. And then he goes, all right, go out again, (laughs) try it again, practice, do this Eucharist, do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Break the bread, eat it, give thanks, share it with people. You know, like, yes, all of those things. There is this, this tangible reality that Jesus is always bringing disciples back to And I think that we as human beings have to keep being reminded of that, that Jesus came into the world to make a difference, not in what we believe about the world, but in what, what we do in the world, how we live in the world. And it's that practice that brings us deeper into relationship with other people that helps us to deepen our relationship with God. And it's in that discovery and that practice that we find God at work. It seems to me that, you know, change is actually one of the places where we can live well and deeply. And I'm interested to know why it is that we have been taught to be so afraid of it. I mean, that just introduces a whole another concept, right, of, of fear. And I guess I had never really thought about that as being one of the root issues with change. And, and it is certainly a root issue that Jesus addresses, you know, fear not, let not your heart be troubled, whether it's the fear of death, the fear of rejection, the fear of failure. Just as you mentioned that, that, that seems to be a bit of a blinking light on the dashboard. Like, oh, yeah, this really does go back to fear. And just what is it that, that we're afraid of? And then change kind of presents us with a number of things, you know, to fear. Well, you know, loss of role, feeling stupid, like, well, th- everything changed and I, d- I have no idea what I'm doing. And I don't like, that doesn't feel good. I'm, I'm afraid to be embarrassed. I'm afraid to, 
uh, not seem competent and knowledgeable about what I'm doing, or I'm afraid, yeah, again, of what I'm going to have to give up, or I'm afraid of not having control in, in this new reality, um, because I'll be back at stage one, uh, along with everybody else having to learn, so I won't have a leg up. You know, there, there's that competitive uh, drive, there's just any number of things that probably trigger any number of different fears, and to think about how Jesus also addresses and assuages those those fears. You know, why did you doubt you know, I'm with you. I will help you. I will give you a, a, the comforter, the advocate to be with you forever. I've been reading a book called How Not to Be Afraid. It's just out um, by Gareth Higgins, who uh, was a, one of the co-founders of the Wild Goose Festival in North Carolina. He's uh, from Northern Ireland. And so he wrote this book about fear and how not to be afraid. And, and his whole premise is that, you know, the story of fear is, a, is one of the stories that we tell ourselves that keeps us from being able to really live deeply into love. What I really love about the book actually is that at the end of each chapter, he's got this some kind of prayer discipline or spiritual practice that you can pra- that you can do to allow fear to have its space, but not mm-hmm. to take up more space than it needs to take up. It's a very interesting book. So I'd suggest you check it out if this is kind of hitting you, if that too is you know, if you're feeling like, oh, fear is sort of at the center of all of this, th- that might be a book that would help you delve deep into some of what it, what is it that we, that you are afraid of? What it is it that, that is at the root of that for you? You know, in the, in the rhetoric of our, our current North American landscape, fear is central, you know, who you should be afraid of, how you should be afraid of them and who, who is telling the truth and who is not. We spend a lot of time thinking about and paying attention to the fears that we have. And that doesn't matter where you fall on a political spectrum. Mm-hmm. We all have fears and they all take up a lot of space. And I think sometimes the, the grounding in the gospel, it's not like, don't be afraid of all of that, but it is don't let your fear keep you from finding your neighbor, from loving your neighbor, from listening to your neighbor. There's something that I think would really bring about a different world if we were able to practice and lean into that reality more. It is just so fascinating the way that in all of these conversations about change that I feel like we've looked at all these different different pieces and views of change as if it is one single thing that we've come back around to some kind of central themes, you know, things that make change bearable, our relationship, our some sort of stability, but it doesn't have to be the stability of standing still, the ability to practice, to trust in things that we have been able to develop over time, to grow into a new way of being. You know, those things seem to have been constant in all of our conversations about how we engage and understand change as it happens to us. And recognizing that, you know, in 20 years, we can look back on this time and we will have a whole lot of insight into what was happening that we don't right now, because in hindsight, you see more things. Yeah. And in hindsight, you know, you know what happens next. And there's something really great about that. But there's also something really exciting about being able to look forward and say, what do we want to see? You know, what do we want the church to be like? How do we want to use what we have learned in this past year to shape the church and to shape ourselves and to shape our communities in the future? And that, to me, is the best thing 
that I've learned about change is that we can actually take what we are learning and put it to use right now, not later. There's no certificate program. There's no finalizing your degree, but Mm. we've learned things now. How are we going to take them with us? You know, are we willing to continue in some of the places that maybe it's less comfortable because, you know, it's a lot more work to do new and different things more often. So where's the balance there? How much can you do that and not be burned out by doing too much? There's just so much possibility and potential. I hope we accept the challenge and see where it takes us. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe to Create and Me wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Create and Me Worship. Special thanks to David Melby Gibbons, Rachel Marie, and John Robinson for our theme music. And as always, stay curious and keep on creating.